Today, I want to talk to you about the big lie of religion. Every religion on earth has some version of this lie. So, are you ready? Are you ready to hear it? Here's how the lie goes. Believe the right thing or do the right thing and your life will be easier, more comfortable, safer, and you'll be happier. Every religion has different things for you to do or different things for you to believe, but they ultimately all end up saying the same lie. Our path is the path to an easier, more comfortable, and happier life. Now, our culture in the West has created a buzzword to kind of sum up these things of what it means to have a more comfortable, a happier, safer life. We call it being blessed. When you're doing the right thing or believing the right thing and life is easier, more comfortable and happier, we say you are blessed. You get the dream job. You get that gorgeous dream spouse. You know, you get the dream house in the perfect neighborhood you've always wanted. The dream family, the perfect 2.5 kids. And you post on social media and you're like, hashtag blessed. The only problem with this is... Jesus doesn't promise us an easier, more comfortable, safer, and happier life. Jesus defines being blessed very differently than our culture does, very different than most of us do on social media. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus kicks off this manifesto about what it's going to look like for the citizens of his kingdom to live and love like he does. And he starts out like this, blessed are the poor, the sorrowful, the hungry, and the thirsty, the persecuted, and the insulted. American Christianity wouldn't call those people blessed. In fact, we'd probably call those people cursed. We'd be like, I wonder what they did that they're suffering so much. Oh my gosh, look at them, you know? Like, we'd wonder if they had some secret sin that they were being punished for. What passes for American Christianity is often much more American than it is Christian. What we call blessing, I think Jesus might call idolatry. Jesus defines blessing as experiencing more of God, obtaining and enjoying a deeper intimacy with the being who created you and created you to know him. Sometimes we do that in good moments. Sometimes we get to experience this deeper, richer, fuller sense of God. But often we do that in the midst of a hard battle. We like to imagine we have a lot more control than we actually do. And oftentimes, if I'm honest, I refuse to reach for God until I've exhausted every other possible option. As humans, we love the predictable and the safe. When things are predictable, it makes us feel powerful and strong. Like, I know what's going to happen, so I'm safe. You know, I can plan for it. I can prepare. But we live in a cultural moment right now where the only thing that is predictable is unpredictability. And if you're like me, it probably leaves you feeling a little bit like, ooh, I'm unsure, I'm unsafe, I don't like this moment. The great theological masterpiece, The Princess Bride, uh, has this great line where Wesley, the man in black, says, Life is pain, your highness. Anyone who tells you differently is trying to sell you something. Every religion on earth is trying to sell you something. They're trying to sell you a promise that you can live a less painful life. And I think they're trying to sell you a lie. But Jesus isn't. Now, sometimes American Christians try to sell a version of Christianity in his name. I remember watching this Christian film. Uh, it came out in the theaters. I went with some of my friends and saw it. And the main character's life was a mess. And a preacher tells him, 
Is it any wonder that your life it has so many problems when you're running from God? And so the main character kneels down, he converts to Christianity, and by the end of the movie, all his problems magically get fixed. And the movie ends with his marriage saved and his bills paid, and he's successful at his job, and he has the kid he's always wanted. And I left that movie thinking they're trying to sell people American Christianity by promising easier, more comfortable, and happier lives if you come and become a Christian. And what's going to happen when someone who knows Jesus sees that and is like, well, why do I have all these problems? I signed up to follow Jesus and everything didn't work out for me. Or what happens when someone does sign up and then they realize it doesn't actually make their life easier, happier, and safer? I'll tell you what happens. What happens is you get people who start down the road and realize they were sold a lie and they give up and they try something else. But the invitation of Jesus is not to come and follow him and find an easier, more comfortable and safer life. Listen to what Jesus actually tells people they should expect if they follow him. In John 16, 33, it says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you are going to have trouble. But take heart, I am conquering the world. In Matthew 19, 29, he says, Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much when you become citizens in my eternal kingdom. In Luke 9, 23, he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross every day and follow my example. You're going to have trouble. It's going to cost you family and houses and wealth and careers. You're going to have to die daily to follow me. Jesus apparently didn't get the memo about religion's big lie, right? He, he is telling people just point blank, following me is going to be costly. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be comfortable. It's not going to always be happy. Jesus isn't inviting us to experience comfort, but to go to war with dark spiritual forces that have built strongholds in this kingdom. He's calling us to something hard and dangerous, but also meaningful. It's not about us having an easier life because we follow some ancient rules. It's about joining Jesus in his mission to change the world. Following him means heading towards danger, not safety. Which brings us to our passage in Matthew that we're looking at today. We're just looking at one verse, but I think this is such an important concept and, and a lie that so many of us subconsciously believe that I just really want to stress it. Uh, drive it home with just a single verse today. In Matthew 4, 1, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now notice the chronology here. Chapter 3 just ended. Jesus was just baptized. The skies opened up and God spoke. The Spirit descended on Jesus. And the first thing the Spirit does is not lead Jesus to a spa appointment to get a mani-pedi, you know, and to give him, be like, hey, you're about to start your ministry. You, we just need to pamper you a little bit and get you ready to go. You know, that's not where the Spirit leads us. The Spirit doesn't lead us, uh, you know, to a retreat center. He sends Jesus to combat the devil in the desert. As students of Jesus, we have the Spirit of God in us. But we weren't given that so our lives would be easier, more comfortable, and safer. He gave us the spirit to make us dangerous in an enemy-controlled world. Now, growing up in churches, I often heard people say things like, the safest place in the world is in the center of God's will. And they would often use it in kind of like a, a threat like this. Like, you know you're supposed to be in church. And if you're not in church, that's God's will for you. Then you might get into a car accident out on the road because you should have been in church and weren't. 
Not only is that super manipulative and paints a really messed up view of God, it reveals something about what most churches and most church people believe about God and Christianity. Christianity to them is mostly about being safe, not changing the world for the better. When you come into conflict, calamity, and chaos, it doesn't mean you stepped out of God's will. God's will is not for you to ignore the old kingdom and find a quiet place to keep your head down and be comfortable. His will is for you to join him in dismantling the devil's kingdom and introducing his new role and reign, the role and reign of Jesus in the world. The will of God always leads us to the front lines of a cosmic spiritual war for the good of other people. The safest place is not God's will, because the will of God led Jesus to the desert to fight the devil. And it led Jesus to the cross to defeat sin and death. If safety is your number one concern, then you need to run from God's will, because it won't ever be safe. God will ask you to follow him into dark places to bring light. And it'll sometimes look like you failed or been defeated. It'll feel sometimes like you've been crushed and pressed under an insurmountable weight. Um, that's exactly what it looked like when Jesus followed the will of God into the grave and spent three days in the ground. And then three days later, he rises from the dead and changes the rules for everything forever because he comes back to life. I had a Christian friend tell me once, I know it is what God wants me to do if it comes easy. I had a leader in a church planting network at a conference tell me, if God's hand is on it, it will look easy. Both these ide ideas stand in complete contrast to the life of Jesus, though. Both these ideas reveal just how deep the big lie of religion has rooted itself into our American Christianity. The cross wasn't easy. It didn't look easy, and it wasn't easy. And we shouldn't expect a life of emulating Jesus to be any different. So I bet I know what you're asking at this point. You're like, okay, thanks for this message. So why in the world would I want to follow Jesus if it doesn't lead to safer, happier, you know, more comfortable lives? Like you've told me it's going to be hard. It's going to be a struggle. It's going to be rough. You're, he's calling us into a cosmic battle. Like, why should I do this? Well, first off, for starters... One of the reasons I follow Jesus is because he's honest with me. He's not trying to sell me on something. He's honest upfront about the cost and the consequence. He's like, hey, this is going to change the world, but it's not easy. It's an uphill battle. This is what it's going to cost you. He's not trying to sneak something past you. He's not got that fine print on the bottom of the contract where you sign it and you're like, ha ha, you know, you're trapped now. He's upfront with you about the cost. And Jesus says, this is the way to life. It's the path out of the kingdom of darkness that's fading away into the kingdom of light that's rushing in. Jesus says, learning to live and love like him is what will change the world. Not politics, not education, not money. Like, I would love to think that if we had enough money, we could fix all the world's problem. The only problem is money can't fix, fix what's wrong inside of human beings. Um, C.S. Lewis used to say, you know, he believed for a long time that education, enough education could fix what's wrong with people. But he says what he found was often education would just make a wicked person and more clever devil. Like there are evil people who know a lot. They've had the education and yet they still choose selfish things. What's going to change the world, Jesus says, is living and loving like him, becoming students of his way of life. 
In Matthew 7, 13 through 14, Jesus says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Do you get the imagery here? The way to destruction is safe and comfortable. It is first-class seating on a Delta airline. You've got plenty of leg room. You've got plenty of space. People are bringing you out Sundays and cocktails. It's nice. But Jesus says the way of life is the middle seat on a Frontier Airlines flight. You're squeezed in between two people. The tray table doesn't stay up. You know, you have no leg room. Your knees are up and in your chest. The way of life is going to squeeze you, not give you comfortable space to stretch out and relax. Christianity doesn't offer comfort and happiness and an easy life, but it claims to be the way of life. And it claims any road that promises you comfort and happiness and ease might actually be a sales attempt to get you to head towards destruction. Orders that move you away from the front lines don't come from your commanding officer. They're propaganda from the enemy who wants to distract you from the cosmic battle that's raging all around you for the hearts and minds and souls of men and women on this planet. Sometimes we make our entire life's pursuit comfort and easiness and happiness, and we call it the way of Jesus. We sprinkle some Christian words over it, and we think this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus, but words don't change what it actually is. See, sometimes we get knocked down again and again and again on the narrow path, and we think, what the heck kind of path is this? Like, I'm not even walking anymore. I'm crawling on my hands and knees. I'm moving at a snail's pace. The walls are closing in. I feel like I'm barely moving at all, but we're still heading towards life. In 1 Peter 4.12, Peter says uh, to the churches, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeals that come upon you. They come to refine you. Don't act as though something strange or unexpected were happening to, to you. You should expect this. I think sometimes we're surprised when hard or difficult or challenging things come our way. I think we're surprised when we don't get everything we want when we want it. Often we're involuntarily believing the big lie that all religions say. We begin to think that our sacrifices for God entitle us to benefits from God. We forget the Christian life is a life of emulating Jesus. We're not emulating a movie star. Jesus didn't sit Mai Tais on a yacht. He didn't retire early and spend winters at his beach house. He died at 33. He died penniless. Some of my frustrations about where my life is right now is because I forget what I signed up for. Suffering was in the brochure because on the front page of the pamphlet, pamphlet for Christianity is Jesus hanging on a cross. It's not like he was hiding this reality from me. Betrayal is assured because page one has a picture of Judas. Rejection is certain because there's a whole segment about how the religious leaders didn't get it. Confusion about God's silence is covered in a section on the Mount of Olives. In John 10, 10, Jesus said, I came that you may have life and you may have it abundantly. But abundant life isn't always easier, happier, more comfortable or safe. Abundant life is finding in Jesus everything that I really need and realizing that sometimes the things that I think I need, the things that I really want, aren't things that I need at all. 
It is being blessed in the true sense of the word, experiencing and enjoying God on a deeper, more intimate level. Guys, 2020 and 2021 and probably 2022 too uh, sucked and are probably going to suck some more in a lot of ways. They probably aren't going to make my life easier, happier, safer, or more comfortable. But that doesn't mean they can't be years of abundance and blessing as I reject the lie of religion and embrace the world-changing life of Jesus. I want to end today with the words of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 8-10. through This is Paul telling the church at Corinth about his prayer. Over and over, I begged God to make it easier. This is too hard, I told him, but he answered me. My abundant presence is enough to sustain you through this. My power and my presence are evident in your weakest moments. Therefore, I've learned to celebrate my weakness. Because in my weakest moment, I sense a power that isn't mine. I'm learning to delight in my weakness, to delight in insults, to delight in hardships, to delight in persecutions, to delight in difficulties. For when I am weak, that is the moment that God lends me his strength. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are a people who are at a cultural moment where we need your strength. I feel like I've had two years of realizing that I can't do it on my own. I can't be the husband I need to be or the pastor I need to be, the preacher I need to be, the employee I need to be, the citizen I need to be. And I just feel like, man, I am pressed down and I am crushed. And I realize that it is in those moments that many times we can tap into the abundant life that you've wanted to offer us all along. We have to let go of the lie that says, my life deserves to be easy and happy and comfortable. And remember that we're fighting a spiritual war, but you want to give us your strength, but we have to get to a place where we stop trying to do it without you. God, will you forgive us for buying into the lie that life can be comfortable and easy and safe and help us to become spiritually dangerous, to overthrow spiritual strongholds as we tap into your abundant presence, as we experience true blessing. Lord, help us to know and experience you on a deeper, richer, more full level than ever before. And I pray these things like I believe Jesus Christ would. Amen.